Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, the founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I am your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 digital content creator, Kenny Stubblefield. And we are back this week off of another disappointing loss. And this one, a little tougher to swallow than the loss against UTSA. Um, Memphis's first true, true road game, I guess you could say, of the year. But, you know, they play Arkansas State in Jonesboro, but that's close and against an inferior opponent. I mean, Temple, also an inferior opponent, but a long way away in Philadelphia and opening conference play. So, there to me at least there was a weird vibe going in this game anyway I was kind of like kind of on the fence about it I know Memphis was a pretty heavy favorite but it's like Memphis is not good on the road uh, or not I'm gonna say no they're not good they're not as good on the road um they've had with with them in the conference it's like it's there's a few teams that always give them trouble with Temple and uh maybe Temple and Navy being the two biggest of those teams, Tulane also over the past couple of years. But it seems like um, no matter the records going into the games against Temple and Navy, those games are always played close. So I was kind of questioning this game going in. I still thought Memphis was going to win. I just thought we might see a, a closer game than um, than the odds were giving it. And Unfortunately, Kenny, here we are for the second straight week talking about a loss where Memphis shot themselves in the foot multiple times and started with a pretty substantial lead, which, in my opinion, may be the most frustrating part. Um, Because if you take the first quarter of the past two games, uh, Memphis had a 21-0 lead on UTSA and then followed that up with a 17-0 lead. And it was really just deja vu all over again. Um and that's kind of what I mean. That's kind of what I was thinking when I was watching, and I see him go up seventeen zero, and it's like, okay, it's going to go one way or the other. This game's going to look exactly like last week, or Memphis is going to smoke Temple, and uh, unfortunately, it was the former and not the latter. Yeah, it. You talked about the vibe being a little bit weird, and it. You know, obviously, we haven't been able to be around the team, so it's not like the vibe around the team is weird. That's not what you're saying, and that's not what I'm saying. Really, what it is for me. Um, 
is you're right that there are certain teams that have always given the Tigers problems. But then the second part of it is there are there are things, there are trends that happen throughout the season, trends that have been happening in Tigers games so far that we haven't seen fixed. And so that's the vibe. And, and when, when you get into conference play, no matter who you're playing, it's always going to be a dogfight. And so – there were things that the Tigers had have consistently done over the last few weeks that I haven't seen them fix yet. And so the vibe of it was this Temple is an inferior team. That that's the reason why the Tigers were such a heavy road favorite. But with this iteration of the Tigers team doing what they've been doing this year, it didn't feel I didn't feel as confident. Um I didn't think They've got their the, the little things that are going on. They can fix easily. It there it seems to be some trends that are happening that are just disconcerting to Tigers fans and to anybody that watches them right now. Yeah, and it's just it just is weird. This just feels like a weird year. Um, I mean, obviously it starts off with the Grant Gannell injury, and and then it's like okay, well let's see what we have in Seth Hennigan. And Seth has played really well, and and you know coming out of the gate when you when especially when I saw Seth playing well, I was like okay, you know everything is kind of back on track um, to what this season was supposed to look like because I, I was one of few people from a, a media perspective, especially national media, uh, and and you know just when you cover when you're a beat reporter, you always feel a little bit slighted by national media because they don't have the same knowledge of the team that you do because they can't. And I've spoke on this before. Uh, just that, you know, as a as a national media pundit, you can't know everything about every team. So uh, a, a team like Memphis, a t- uh, and what I mean by that is a team that's like not ranked top 25 to start the season, a team that's not a power five school, um, uh, the national media is not going to pay as much attention to Memphis as they would, you know, in Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan or whatever it may be. So you kind of feel like you're the, you know, us as national media. I'm not saying specifically me. I'm just saying us as national media. I mean, as as local media, as beat reporters, that we are the true experts on the team. And I think that's that's kind of how that's kind of the sentiment um, for schools that aren't the top schools in the country. Um, so I all that in a roundabout way to say I was higher on Memphis. You were higher on Memphis as well uh, than national media. And you know we could we could talk about that all day the factors and the reasons that we thought, um, but it turns out I guess sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees and and I don't say that to say that Memphis is not the talented team that I thought they were. It's just that they're not they haven't put everything together so far. I mean really when you look down the list of of this season what it's looked like, it, it, you really can trace it all the way back to the first game because they didn't really look great against Nickel State. Um, and, and we talked about that after that game, just like, uh, I mean, they won, they did what they were supposed to do, but it wasn't pretty. Like they didn't, it wasn't like the Mercer win a few years ago. It wasn't like 56 to nothing shut down. It wasn't like that. And then, and then you follow it up with Arkansas state who at the time we were like, okay, this is a, a pretty solid team. And they've been pretty much dragged by everybody since then. Uh, they lost to Tulsa as well in a, in a closer game, but it's like okay, Arkansas State maybe wasn't that great, and and Memphis did something that they've done the past two weeks. They started red hot in that game, trailed off towards the end, and 
almost ended up seeding that game to Arkansas State on the road. So, when you look at this season, and Kenny, correct me if you think I'm wrong, or you know, I, w- I want to hear your opinion on this. When you look at Nickel State, Arkansas State, Mississippi State, um, UTSA, and Temple, the only outlier out of these five games feels like Mississippi State to me. And we thought that that was going to be kind of the tipping point to turn this season, uh, you know, to really trend this season upward and to catapult Memphis into what could be a really special season. And, you know, things changed quickly because two weeks later, it feels like that game has been the outlier of the five games that Memphis has played this season and not what we see on a weekly basis. What do you, what do you feel about that? Well, I mean, not to be Debbie Downer about the Mississippi State game because that was a big win, but it took some pretty – some plays that Christian, you've been following football your entire life. Have you ever seen a play um, swing momentum the way that the Calvin Austin punt return did? And that was a play that we, I've never seen before, and I don't think you have. And and so, even in that sense, it didn't feel like at the end of that game. It obviously they came away came away with a win, had a had a better second half than they did the first half, but. Um, it it definitely didn't feel like the Tigers dominated on any level in that game. It just felt like that they outlasted Mississippi State in that game and had some pretty unbelievable plays happen throughout it. Now, in terms of and I don't I'm not saying that to say that that it was a fluke win or anything like that. Um, no, I mean I, I do genuinely think that Memphis was the better team on that day. Right. When you look at the fourth down stops and what they did, I think Memphis was the better team on that particular Absolutely. Saturday inside the Liberty Bowl. But I think Mississippi State is a better team than Memphis. I mean, they just put up a win over a top 15 in Texas A&M. And I don't think Texas A&M is truly a top 25 team uh, with Zach Calzada at quarterback. And, you know, that's I'm just trailing down the line now. But I do think Mississippi State is a better team than Memphis. And I think if they play that game over and over again, Mississippi State wins more times than not. But Memphis was the better team on that day. I will say that, but like I said, I feel like that game is the outlier at this point right. because everything else has trended a different direction. No, I agree. And, and, you know, it definitely does because, I mean, you look at the you, – you talked about it in, in the in the other four games that the Tigers have played. There has been trends that have happened through pretty much every single one of those games. They've played inferior opponents in uh, Nichols and in Arkansas State. And 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 I'll still to this day say that they're a better team than UTSA and a better team than Temple. They should have beat both of those teams, but there's there's a level of of um, you can't make mistakes. You can't you can't continue to do the same things over and over and over again and continue to win games when you know you look across the landscape of college football with the transfer portal and everything that happened last year, there is a level of, of, of evenness across college football. There's there, there are teams that are better now than they have been in the past because of, of how the transfer transfer portal and the extra fifth year for um, seniors, the extra year of eligibility um, has impacted college football. So, um, you know, definitely in terms of, of, of the the entirety of the season, Mississippi State was an outlier in that 
in that the things that we've seen in the four other games we didn't necessarily see in that Mississippi State game. So it makes you wonder, like, okay, who is this team? Like, who is who are the Memphis Tigers? And if we look at it uh, in the five games that they've played, you we can't sit here and say this is what this team is, that Mississippi State game. That's an outlier. That's not who they've been in the other four games. Yeah, and, and I'm going to steal something from you, honestly, because I think you made a great point with this. I don't remember if you said this on the boards or if you said this through te- – I think you said this in a text – um, over the weekend, but it just, it just feels like a, a young team with a young head coach that doesn't have an identity. And I think I think you summed that up perfectly because at, at this point in the season five, I mean, we're uh, next week or th- actually, you know, this week, this upcoming week against Tulsa is the midway point of the season, and and this team doesn't, this team still doesn't have an identity, uh, and that and that's concerning to me. It is concerning. What I mean by that is. And and I think you you wrote an article this week that really um, brings that point home to me because you look at the Tigers individually, they have some pretty impressive stat monsters out there. I, I've I've got the article pulled up right here, and you talked about some of the, you talked about the five most impressive stats. Um, no, most impressive stats after five games, and. You talked about Seth Hennigan. You talked about uh, Brandon Thomas. You talked about Calvin Austin. You talked about J.J. Russell, Quindell Johnson. Um, you spoke about some other things. And and the stats that they're that they these these five guys individually have been putting up are pretty impressive. And yet they're three and two after five games and have not looked very impressive as a team this year. And that all that is to me is what is this team's identity? They have players. They have the guys that can do what they need to do to win games. But but what is the identity? I I think what I, I meant by that when I texted you that, because it wasn't a text during the Temple game, was what are they trying to do? Like what is on offense – like what is it that they're trying to do? It, it it felt like there's 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 certain things that you know a team is going to do. Like Tony when when Tony Pollard was playing for the team, when Daryl Russell was playing uh playing for the team, uh, Daryl Henderson, Daryl Russell. Why did I say Russell? Daryl Henderson. I think you had think you had JJ Russell on the mind. JJ Russell. Yeah, yeah. Daryl Henderson. Thank you. Um, you know when they had Kenny Gainwell, when they had Demonte Coxey, you knew Antonio Gibson. You knew exactly what um they were going to do. You knew what they were trying to get done, and um, it just feels like right now, I don't know really what it is they're trying to do, and. And especially on the defensive end of the field, to me, I they have so much talent on the defensive end of the field. Um, all they're older; they've got some, you know, big time players, and yet they haven't been able to. They on the defensive end of the field when when you are pl- like when you have a game plan it's it's about exerting what you do well putting the offense making them make decisions that play to your strengths and i don't see that at all in the tigers i feel like it's just more so of let's just 
figure out a way to stop. Like, let's just, you know, even in, even on, in the cornerback room, um, there's a lot of soft zone things that are happening on the field that just feels like it's more of just like, we want to give you a little bit, but we can't, I, I don't know what all I'm trying to say, Christian, other than there just doesn't seem to be an identity on the defensive end of the field to the point where teams are just kind of able to do what they want against the Tiger defense right now. And it is super concerning to me. Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, at this point, because I, I know I've said a couple of times, like I'm not going to give up on the defense yet. I'm not going to, with everything that I've seen through almost the midway point, I give up. Like, I was wrong. I thought this defense was going to be a top two or three defense in the American. I really, like, I really did. Um, but, but they just haven't shown it. And like you said, the, the, the disheartening part about all of it is they have the talent. They, they have the talent at, at every level of the defense. But they just haven't put it together. I mean, the secondary is still getting absolutely shredded. I mean, you have a guy in, in Dewan Mathis who was making his second start of the year with his first start being against Wagner, and he puts up 320 yards and three touchdowns on over a 70% uh, completion percentage. And this is a guy that, that played against Rutgers and was 8 of 24 for 148 yards and an interception. And then he looked like, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the country against Memphis. And it's just a common theme. And I don't know at this point if it's just ingrained in the culture and maybe all these maybe all these older guys leaving will benefit this team. And that's not that's not me like downing any of the older guys. It's just, you know, it, it, it's just a question at this point. You know, has that culture taken over and rooted itself within within the players that have been here for four five six years I mean I don't know I'm thinking out loud here um but it's just concerning there has to be an answer somewhere and going back to your point of the identity crisis what's difficult to watch is even though Memphis's offense can put up gaudy numbers and gaudy stats and Memphis's defense has some solid individual players and J.J. Russell and Quindell Johnson and Morris Joseph there is no creativity on either side of the ball, and, and I'm I'm not trying to diss Kevin Johns or Mike McIntyre or any of the coordinators, um, but but all I can do is discuss what I'm seeing on and be real. And you know, I'm just I just want to be real about it. Is there's just no creativity, and I watch a lot of football a whole lot of football and I always have uh, professional and collegiate football. And nowadays in the modern game, there's so much creativity because we're so deep into the game at this point that you have to do something different. You have to do different things or execute at, at what you do to such a high standard that teams can't stop you. And if Memphis felt like they were at a disadvantage in that category with, you know, because they had a true freshman quarterback and a redshirt freshman running back and a lot of young players, then creativity you would feel like is the next answer, even with a young guy at the helm and Seth Hennigan, because I feel like he can handle uh, whatever is going to be thrown at him. And there's just been no creativity. It's just zone left, zone right, or 
try to throw the ball to Calvin Austin and Sean Dykes. There's been no creativity to get Calvin Austin involved in any different ways and utilize his speed. Um, uh, Sean Dykes has been an afterthought in a couple of games this year, which doesn't make any sense. Sean Dykes should always be heavily involved in the passing game. Um, the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head is, you know, they tried to get Gabe Rogers involved. Uh, I think it was in the UTSA game on, on maybe like an end around or a, a, a jet touch pass or something, uh, which is something that we had talked about trying to get him involved in different ways. Cause he's a playmaker, but in five games, that's really the only thing that I can think of that was different or creative or that utilized pre-snap motion or moving guys around at all. Um, and when you have so much talent and so much speed, when you have three or four running backs that can be difference makers, you find way to get them, find ways to get them on the field together. You find ways to get creative and get them the ball. I, I, I mean, I'm really, I'm really at a loss on what's going on. But and, and same thing defensively, we haven't seen many stunts, we haven't seen many creative blitzes, uh, we haven't seen much mix up in the coverage. We haven't seen anything really to confuse an offense, and with a with such a veteran laden group, that's what you would expect is for different things to be thrown at an offense to confuse them because you have guys that have played so much football, and it just it doesn't make any sense to me at this point. Um, and, and I, I I don't know what it is. I'm not in the locker room every day. I'm not on the coaching staff, so I don't know what it is. So I don't want to speculate on anything. Like I said, all I can do is um is give my opinion on what I see every single week and, and and that that's what it is to me there's there's no creativity there's no identity um it seems like there may still be a, a lack of trust um from the coaching staff and, and maybe that's why there isn't creativity so I said I wasn't going to speculate and there I am speculating <laughs> um but but I don't know. I just you know I, I I was very hopeful for this season. I felt like they had a they had a really good team that could um, potentially surprise surprise some people and end up in the um, AAC championship game and and that's not fully off the table yet. I mean that's still a possibility. But I wouldn't be putting my money on on them going to play in the AAC championship game. It just that there really haven't been many encouraging signs over the past two weeks. Let me ask you this. I have a in the in the Temple game specifically, and and I don't want to. Obviously, it's like you said, we can only report and talk about what we see, you know, on the field. You know, Coach Silverfield has definitely made a point to um, in the post game press conference and in his weekly media availability on Monday um, that we've posted over at. Um, our webs, our YouTube page, uh, Go Tigers Two Four Sevens YouTube page. You can check it all out. All the press conferences are there. Um, other digital content that we have. Go check it out. Subscribe. Anyway, free plug. Um, but he's made a point to put a lot of the blame on the running backs over the last two games of turning the ball over um, to the point where even in the post game press conference he said. You know, if if our running backs can't hold the ball, and this isn't verbatim, it's just what I remember him saying is, if the running backs can't hold onto the ball, then we'll empty out the backfield and do a five a five wide receiver set every darn play. Um, and then he brought it up again in this uh, in his Monday press conference. I was confused by the fact that, um, you know, 
obviously the top two running backs this year have been Brandon Thomas and Rodriguez Clark. And then obviously, obviously Kylan Watkins came back from an injury. Um, and Kylan in the past has been an effective backup. He, he was backup to uh, Kenny Gainwell, um, you know, did well with Kenny until Antonio Gibson kind of <laughs> took over the backfield in 2019. Um, but were you surprised that Kylan played so much in the second half of the Temple game and that Brandon didn't play at all? Yeah, it it just felt like the staff was trying to send a message. And, and I, I haven't heard anything yet about, you know, I haven't heard Silverfield say anything about him being injured or anything, and I haven't missed that, right? He hasn't said anything. He has anything not said anything about Brandon. about Brandon. Yeah. It's all about the fumble. Yeah. Right. And and that's and that's kind of what, you know, we were obviously we all text during the game and keep up during the game. Um and, and that was my biggest thing is like that fumble was costly. Like there's no question about it. Like Memphis was up seventeen oh with the ball and had all the momentum and it was at the first play of the drive. I think it was the first play of the drive. Uh, it's just a zone, a zone carry going left, and had what maybe five or six yards, and just kept trying to move his legs, and somebody ripped the ball out. And uh, yeah, it's costly. It's a big fumble, but Brandon Thomas is top twenty in the country in rushing yards, and really hasn't done much over the past couple weeks because. You know, th- this past week against Temple obviously didn't play the majority of the second half, if any of the second half. Um, and two weeks ago against UTSA was just, you know, ramming his head up against a freaking brick wall. So you really can't blame him for that. Um, so I don't like it. I don't like the message that it sends. I, once again, I'm not a, I'm not a college head coach. I'm not the coach of Memphis. I, I don't I, – I, I'm not saying that. Um, but it just feels like a redshirt freshman running back that is top 20 in the country in rushing yards and has been extremely impressive and outperformed all expectations and is clearly your best running back. And that's no offense to Rodriguez Clark because I think Rodriguez uh, does what he does. I think he's good at what he does. I think he's effective. I think he runs hard. But Brandon Thomas just offers an upside that nobody else in this backfield does right now. He is your best running back. He is your best home run hitter as a running back. He is your most explosive running back. And... um. One fumble cost him the rest of his game, and and didn't wasn't allowed any more opportunities to make up for that fumble. And I just it just seems weird for for that to happen to a redshirt freshman. I mean, that's like Seth Hennigan throwing a pick and getting pulled because he threw a pick. Um, and so I I don't know if there's something deeper going on, but if it's just that, if that's the reason that Brandon got pulled and didn't play the whole second half, then I don't really get it. I don't really understand it. Um, because I think he gives you the best chance to win at, as your as your starting running back. But even in that so. sense, though, if you are frustrated and upset with Brandon Thomas for fumbling the ball, um, and you bring in Kylan and start playing, well, Kylan fumbled the ball at the goal line when Rodriguez Clark had been putting in work that entire second half. I mean, he had been playing very, very well. And that was what was confusing to me is I'm not even saying play Brandon Thomas because um, there might be other things going on. Obviously, we don't know because and so we don't want to speculate. Um, but even in even in that possession, when you're at the goal line, you have a guy like Rodriguez Clark who literally 
he loves contact. He goes after. He is, he's he's built for the goal he's line. He's built for the goal line, and they bring in, and Ryan brings in a a, a running back who's who's better out of the open, more so a, a kind of a, um, a, receiving, a back. receiving back like Kylan Watkins, but who also hasn't played at all this year until the Temple game. At all. Right. And it was just so confusing to me. And that's where, you know, again, and you've said this numerous times, we're not the coaches. We're not, you know, we're not making those decisions. We don't know what's going on for them to make those decisions. But it just, it seemed extremely odd that, especially in that possession, when you had a guy like Rodriguez Clark, who was filling in very admirably for Brandon Thomas in the second half, was pulled for Kylan Watkins at the goal line, who's not a goal line running back, when you have Rodriguez yeah. Clark, who is. Yeah, I, I think it just optically, like, I mean, we don't know what's going There could be something deeper to this story, but just optically, from the outside looking in, it doesn't, one, it doesn't look good, and two, it just doesn't make much sense, um, which just adds, I think just further adds to the frustration. So, um, I know this podcast has been a lot of negativity, and it's not like me and Kenny don't want to come on here and be negative and 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 just be harping on you know bad things the whole time. But you know it it is what it is, and that's that's just where it is in this in the season right now. There's not a ton of positives to take away. There's not a ton of things to say. Oh, here's the silver lining. Um, they had an opportunity for a perfect bounce back week and to start conference play with the. I don't want to say a statement win because Temple's not a good team, but if they come out and they drub Temple by 20, then they they said, okay, you know, that UTSA game pissed us off. That we, was the know, outlier. We, the the right, UTSA exactly. game becomes the outlier. Exactly. You flipped a script on the season, and right. that that's your chance to start new because conference play is the biggest thing, right? You come away with conference wins, and, and overall records don't matter. At the end of the day, conference records matter. And they have a pretty formidable, like that, or they have a pretty, um, a pretty good conference schedule with no Cincinnati. Um, they have UCF on the road, which is a tough game, but Dylan Gabriel's out. Like the way that the that the conference schedule shaped up was pretty good for them, and it started off relatively easy with not a good Temple team, and they just they didn't come out and they they just didn't look like they wanted it after the first you know. 15 minutes of the game 15 to 20 minutes of the game after that it was just kind of like okay it looked it literally looked like a copy and paste version of the utsa game with different jerseys and in a different stadium uh which which is alarming so you've played you've played football pretty much your entire life um what is what do you think as a like take your reporter hat off for a second and put your former player hat back on and like, tell me what's going on inside that locker room in the players' minds right now. Like, what do you think they're feeling? What are they? What what's going on through their brain? Like, I know it's a totally different situation. We're talking about Division One athletes. You know, they're a different breed. Um, but tell me, what do you think is going on in the locker room right now? Well, I th- I think there's really in a situation like this, there's there's only two camps to be in, or or two two ways that this situation is going. Either Either A, which is what you hope for as a fan, um, or what fans would hope for is that you know they have a rebound mentality and they're looking around saying, "Look, we're young, 
We've still got some players that can play on this team. We've got really good players, high-level talent on this team. And we can turn it around because we still got seven games. We can go win out and make some noise, and whatever happens, happens at that point. Let's just control what we can control and, and go win all of our games because you got Tulsa. Um, you got Tulsa on the road, which could be a tough game. It, I don't really know what to make of Tulsa this year. Um, they've really been up and down, kind of a roller coaster of a team. So that's just kind of a oh, so another weird game kind of thrown in there. Of let's see what this looks like. Well, the weird part about it is not really Tulsa; it's the it's the Tigers. It's like well, yeah, there's that too. Yeah, like I we mean, don't know what to expect. I mean, at this point, what to expect is what we've seen. And it so every game's a toss up at this point. Like we like the Tigers should be confident going into this Tulsa game that they are a better team, like they should have been against Temple, like they should have been against UTSA. But so the 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 toss up for me or the 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 question mark to me is not who they're playing. It's okay. What it's them. It's them. What are they going to do this week? Right, because I, I mean, honestly, looking at the at the way that the schedule shakes out, because you know I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of days looking at it and and kind of analyzing what's going on, um, especially the next few games. Tulsa, very winnable game. Uh, Navy at at home, that's a game you should win. I know Navy just upset UCF, but they they've been really bad this year. Um, then you have UCF on the road, but UCF just lost to a bad Navy team, and they haven't looked great without Dylan Gabriel. Really, to me, the only game that I really don't think Memphis has a good shot in the rest of the year is SMU. No, it's not Houston. Not Houston? Wow. No, SMU is a top 25 team right now. Tanner Tanner Mordecai leads the country in passing touchdowns um, through five games. I think he has 24 or something crazy like that. Um He's, I mean, on paper he shreds Memphis in that game. Like on, just looking on paper, we're three, four weeks away from that game. I understand. I'm just going through kind of my thought process. Tanner Mordecai rolls against Memphis, and that that's the biggest concern to me right now. Um, just looking at the extended schedule. So I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's just at this point in the season. This is where you kind of look ahead and say what. What does it look like next? And we did this two weeks ago after the Mississippi yep, State game. I remember that. With a very positive outlook, saying that, you know, they could make it to that UCF game undefeated. Right. Which, in hindsight, they still should have because they had every opportunity to beat UTSA. They had every opportunity to beat Temple. Um, I think they're three-point underdogs against Tulsa, but if they win both of those two games, they had opportunities to win. They definitely would have been favored, and they should definitely be favorites over Navy at home. So it's crazy how much can change in two weeks because Memphis very well could have been going into that UCF game undefeated, and now they're going to go into that UCF game at a minimum of two losses. Um, So going back to what you asked just about the locker room, you have the positive outlook, which is, you know, we let's go run the table. Let's show what we're made of. We're ve- we got veterans. We have leaders on this team. Let's go. Let's go do what we do. Or the other side of it is, you know, some of those younger guys are just like, look, you know, we still got a few years here. Like we're good. We don't have anything to worry about. 
um, and that conflicts obviously with your fifth and sixth year seniors um, that are really getting their last chance to play and and want their last season to be special and things get tense in the locker room and uh, players are questioning coaches and coaches are questioning players and that's when everything gets out of whack and ugly so you definitely hope it's it's option A and not 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 option B and I don't know uh, I don't know what it looks like in the Memphis locker room right now but I think the rest of the season will tell us a lot of what we need to know and a lot of what's going on um, because if they rally around each other and and rattle off some some big wins and I think we know and if they implode then I also think we know so um it will be interesting to see what this team looks like moving forward. Um, they have an opportunity to have a response on Saturday. I mean, every week for them is going to be an opportunity to respond. That might be the most coach-speak thing I've ever said in my whole life. Um, but it is. It's true. Like after, after these past two just horrible weeks, every week is a chance for them to respond and, and show what they can do. So we'll see on Saturday how they choose to do so. So my last thing for you, and we'll close it down. Um, after this is what um what needs to change like what what can the tigers do that you you talked about responding right like that this is an opportunity to respond what what is their response need to be like what do uh, we, we can talk about x's and o's we can talk about not fumbling the ball you know doing all the drills to to not fumble the ball like the like coach silverfield said he they they've done but what is it if you had to pinpoint a few things, what are a few things the Tigers need to do to reinvigorate this season and, and start responding appropriately? Well, I think there needs to be um, more create creativity on the coaching end and more or better execution on the players end. I mean, I think there's things that both sides can clean up on. Um, I want to take an example from the NFL, and that's you know obviously it's it's a different level, it's a it's a different league, um, but from what I've seen, this coaching staff is very keen on wanting to impose their will and do what they want to do, regardless of what the strength of the defense is. Um, just to, I mean, most most of you guys know that I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, but I'm a big NFL fan in general. I watch basically every game and have way too much knowledge on on the NFL. But just to, you know, just to hit home for me um with the Cowboys, what their offensive coordinator Kellen Moore does who uh if you're not an NFL fan, if you're just a college football fan, you know the name Kellen Moore cuz he lit up college football at Boise State um and was was just known for his offensive prowess uh even while he was in the league as a backup quarterback. Um, but what he does is he attacks the weakness of a defense rather than trying to do what he wants to do on offense every week, which is what a lot of coaches do. A lot of coaches do what they want to do and say, look, if we can execute what we want to do good enough, we can beat anybody. But that's not what Kellen Moore does. Um, take, for example, the first game of the season against the Buccaneers, who had the best run defense in the league for two or three years in a row. He ran the ball, I think, 11 times and threw the ball like 58 times. And then followed that up against a Chargers defense that has a great secondary with Derwin James and Nazir Adderley and, and guys like that and runs the ball for over 200 yards. And so I say that to say I think in this modern era of coaching, that's the new that's the new trend. That will be the new trend that we see. Instead of trying to impose your will and do exactly what you want to do as an offensive staff every week, 
you attack the defense's weakness. And it sounds so simple, but there there are so many coaches that that it's like they want to follow a formula. They want to follow a game plan, but really – you have to attack the weakness of a defense. And with Memphis's offense, some teams don't have the luxury to do it. But with a great group of running backs, uh, uh, Calvin Austin, Sean Dykes, and Seth Hennigan at the quarterback position, you have the skill set, you have the uh, talent to attack whatever weakness a defense has. And we just haven't seen that. I mean, we've seen that they want to do what they want to do. They want to be a team that can be balanced. And sometimes balance isn't achievable because you're playing against a team um, that's not going to allow you to do one thing, that wants to take away one thing from your offense. Um, And I think that's what we've seen, specifically in the UTSA game, but I think that's what we've seen is is just at times just a a desire to, to do exactly what you came into the game to do and not adapt and not be creative and I'm not trying to take a big dump on the staff because <laughs> that's not what I'm here to do. I'm just this is all from just a football perspective um and looking at things as objectively as possible and saying this, you know, this is what I see. So to me that's it is just having more willingness to adapt and be creative from a coaching perspective and and then better execution from a player's perspective. Yeah, I dig it, man. I dig it. Well, now that that is, um, we've taken a big dump on the entire football season. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, we'll see what happens moving forward. Like I said, still seven games left, still plenty of time to make a turnaround. Um, I I don't see a ton of encouraging signs, but I hope they do because I promise you it's a lot more fun to cover a team that's winning and has fan engagement than a team that doesn't any day of the week. It is no fun knowing that you're about to write articles and post digital content about a loss. It's no fun. Right. It's no fun at all. Um, So Memphis will be on the road in Oklahoma this week to take on Tulsa in a game that they are currently underdogs in. Uh, Should be an interesting game because both of these teams have been roller coasters this year, and I don't know what to expect in the game. (laughs) Um, And with that being said, Kenny – we are recording this on Tuesday night. We'll be released on Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, though, Memphis will have um, their full pro day scrimmage workout. All the NBA, I'm sure there will be an NBA scout representative from every single NBA team in the building on Wednesday, along with yours truly, Kenny Stubblefield. Um, Tuesday, they did their combine testing. Uh, no media was allowed at that, so we were not there. But Wednesday, Kenny will be our boots on the ground. Uh, he will be taking a look at that, uh, getting a, another firsthand look at this team building up to the season. And we will also have some content coming from that. I think I'll leave it at that. I don't think I want to go any further than that. Just be on the lookout for content. Um, you guys know that we are going to go hot and heavy with it, with basketball stuff coming quickly. Anything that we can get out, we will get out as soon as possible so there will be press conference afterwards and everything and we'll be rolling out content as quick as possible to make it feel like you guys were there also that's that's always the goal so head over to go tigers247.com check that out all of our basketball content all of our football content i know some of you may be starting to lean away from football but come on just lean just back stay in man. for a little lean bit back just in. stay engaged yeah absolutely stay engaged for a little bit let's just let's just see how this plays out together 
Um, also, as Kenny said, have, head over to our YouTube page, subscribe, like, comment, all that good stuff. Um, we finally hit our a thousand subscribers. <laughs> um, so it's a big number for us. It's a big number for us. We're continuing to uh, to build our brand um, digitally, uh, increase our digital fo- footprint, and obviously, Kenny's done an incredible job with that. So, with that being said, uh, Kenny, you got anything else? I'm good. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you downloaded your podcast. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis Athletic Program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are published daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for a VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. We'll see you back here next week. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.